Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy, happy Wednesday, you guys. It is the very last Wednesday of January, and so I'm glad you're here with us. I'm super excited about the show today. It's a little bit different, but it is actually the book birthday for If You Only Knew, my unlikely, unavoidable story of becoming free, which is the book that I released a few years ago. And let me tell you, I am always still so honored when I get a message on my Instagram or through an email, or I talk with you after an event and you tell me how much this book has impacted your life. It's all God, and I'm so thankful for it. God is so kind to use our stories for His glory and encouragement in others' lives. To celebrate today, we're going to share two If You Only Knew stories from two of my friends. Back in 2018, when the book released, we did a mini-series where I invited nine friends to sit down with me and talk with me about what would be a part of their story that they were holding tight to, and then how they found freedom when they were willing to share it. So today, my guests are Sean and Ginger. Sean and I met at church, actually, and then we served together at our local county jail. She shares her story of how the secrets of abortion and struggling with alcoholism had kept her sick for so very long. Sean describes how she would share parts of her story. But it wasn't until she told her story fully and let herself walk with Jesus through all of it that she could start to receive healing. Ginger and I have been friends way before I ever lived in Austin. She's a Nashville girl who moved to the Lone Star State around the same time as our family moved here. Ginger talks about how she lost her hearing literally overnight when she was four years old and how she found herself pulling back and avoiding social settings. I know you will enjoy both of these women's stories today, and I know that you're also gonna see yourself in their stories in some way or another, because that always happens. My prayer for you is that you're gonna feel a bit more encouraged in your own story, and that you're gonna have the courage to begin sharing your own story with those that you walk closely with and let go of the shame that keeps us so entangled for so many years. Friends, also, have you gotten your ticket to Happy Hour Live yet? I know some of you have because they are selling fast, Both nights still have plenty of tickets. The VIP is getting slim. So if you want to come to that, make sure you check it out. Go to jamieivy.com slash events to buy your ticket. The event takes place here in Austin, Texas on May 15th and May 16th. And what this is, is you get to see me interview two women on a stage. We also have dinner. We have drinks. We have goodie bags. We have a DJ. It's basically the best girls night you've ever been to. So Grab your girlfriends, grab your mom, grab your sister, grab your sister-in-law, or you guys, come alone. People do it all the time. Have yourself a girls weekend right here in Austin, Texas. Check out jamieivy.com slash events. All right, friends, here are my friends, Ginger and Sean, sharing with us their If You Only Knew story. Hey, Sean, so what was your If You Only Knew? So for me, it was two abortions that I had had in my past. Mm. So my first abortion, I was a senior in high school. And then the second abortion was when I was in college. Okay. And the details on the second are a little fuzzy. I don't know if it was when I was a freshman or a sophomore, but it was somewhere around that time. Why are the details fuzzy? I think um, just because I was in so much, I was in such a bad spot during that time and um, a lot of partying, Uh a lot of drinking, drug use. And there's some there's some times in my life that are very blurry. And this is one of them. And that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So you had these abortions. Um, One, 
I mean, both of them, you were really young. Let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. But a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. That was 17. 17. Mm -hmm. Um, Who knew about this abortion? Nobody. Your mama didn't know? No. So my Mm. boyfriend was older. He was in college. And when we found out we were pregnant, we just made the decision to have an abortion. I didn't tell my mom. Nobody in my family knew. None of my friends knew. And uh, he paid for it. I went and had it done. And then that was it. I went by myself. Yeah. That gives me chill, Sean. Yeah. I went by myself because for whatever reason he had, he was still in school and he wasn't able to be there that day. And so I just went by myself Mm. and um, it was so interesting too, because I was still in high school and I remember that I had to miss a basketball game because I was, you know, not able to play. And um, it was interesting because there was a newspaper article a couple of days later about the game and that I was missing because I had the flu. But it's just so interesting that that was like recorded uh-huh. in, you know, history in yeah. some way that. You don't still have that article, do you? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. So you go all alone, which is just, I that literally makes me want to cry that yeah. you had to endure that all alone. Did you feel, after it was done, did you feel... I, I'm 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 over. I'm past this. Or did it haunt you as a 17 year old? As a 17 year old, I was relieved. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like I felt like this is a problem. You we came it. up with a solution, and I'm done with this. And we just moved forward. Life went on. Yeah. Now, what about college? So college, that whole situation was so different. So that pregnancy was basically a one night stand, and. I found out I was pregnant. I had already been through this before, so I knew exactly what to do, where to go, went alone again, had another abortion. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. The guy didn't know. Even the guy this time didn't know. Yeah. But it's interesting because the relief that I experienced with the first abortion, that didn't happen with this. It did not happen. I don't know. I don't know if it was God. I don't know if it was just where I was in my life, but the relief didn't come. And instead of experiencing relief and just being able to move forward, it was just this, it was almost like a physical pain. I just can't even hardly explain it. And I started having some anxiety, depression, and I don't know if it was related to the abortion, but the timing was interesting. Mm. Um, I was still partying a lot, so possibly that had something to do with it. Mm. But my life just really started to take a turn at that point. And it seems like it was that second abortion where I really started struggling. Kind of spiraling out of control. Yes. Yeah. Low self-esteem, unworthiness, feeling that I was a terrible person. I knew I wasn't one of those girls that had an abortion that was clueless. Like I knew exactly what I was doing. Mm. I knew that that was a baby it was my baby and that I was ending its life. Yeah. Like I got that. There are some women that are naive mm-hmm. about that, but mm-hmm. I wasn't. Yeah. The first time and the second time. Yeah. Yeah. So you're living with these secrets, which the first one, it sounds like it didn't really bother you. Right. It's just, you solved your problem, moved on. Mm-hmm. And the second time you now are having these secrets and nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Um, did you often think about it? Um. I don't know if I really, no, I don't think I did. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't actually think about the procedure or I just tried to just forget all of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
When did it become an issue for you that you became feeling like if people knew this about me, then they would think fill in the blank. When did that happen? And what lie did you believe people would think about you? So it was when I met Curtis, uh-huh. That's That's your husband. my husband today. Mm-hmm. And I just thought if he even knew half mm-hmm. of my story. And you two were not believers. Right. So, I mean, I want to throw that in there as yeah. well. I know your story. Yeah. yeah. So if he even knew a little bit about my past, would he completely freak out? Because there was a lot of drug use, a lot of sexual sin, those abortions. I mean, just some stuff that's just ugly. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband, Curtis, is just such a clean cut, moral kind of guy. And of course he had his college days, but that boy's on the up and up. So you were putting like, (laughs) I mean, this is basically my story as well, Sean, you know this. When I meet my very clean cut, had never done anything wrong husband, which he always says, yes, I have. It just didn't look like yours, you know, which is the truth. Um, But you meet him and you're like, he doesn't even know what he's getting. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. And um, so I was honest with him initially just about some of the drug use and about the partying. And he's like, okay, if this is going to go forward, drug stuff's not happening. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, no problem. Because I really, really liked him. Yeah, yeah. So that was easy for me. But I didn't share with him about my abortion until several, it may have been a year into dating. And it was in a drunken, crying mess on the floor, you know, confessing that I had had an abortion. You said one. I couldn't tell him I had had two. Which you're thinking now as you're like, you know, 15, 20 years into or however, how long have you been married? Uh, 17. Okay. Oh, like us. So you're 17 years in. Aren't you just thinking now like, just get it all out. Yeah. Like, why do this again? Yes. Oh, so So you so tell him weird. about the high school or the college? The high school. Okay. I told him about that abortion. And what's so interesting, Jamie, is because honestly, the second abortion, I just kind of, I didn't forget about it, but it was almost like it didn't even happen. Mm-hmm. You so kind of just bizarre. maybe traumatically blocked it. Yes. Yeah. It's so bizarre. And... To elaborate on that, it wasn't until I actually went through an abortion healing study that that second abortion even came back up. Wow. Like I had you buried, had literally it, buried so it and blocked it deep. Mm-hmm. It was gone. So when you're telling Curtis, um, what did you think he would think of you or react? What was the fear? Where was the fear? My fear was that he would think I was a horrible person, uh-huh, uh-huh. horrible person, Yeah, um, that he might not want to continue this relationship. Uh But that was something I really felt like I needed to share with him before we moved forward, because that's a really big Mm -hmm. deal. Yeah. And we never talked about it though. After that, after I shared that with him, he never asked me anything about it. We never talked about it. What did he say? What was his response? I don't know. (laughs) You were drunk. It's not funny, but it is. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're married 17 years. So apparently, you know, it wasn't a deal breaker. Yeah. Um, It's interesting. Now, I want, because I know some of your story and I know that you and Curtis later within your marriage started following Jesus Mm -hmm. together through some other things in your life. After you became a Christ follower, was that fear still there? Did it increase? Do you remember the first time you said this to anyone else besides Curtis? Yes. Uh, vividly. So I actually went into recovery for alcoholism. In recovery, I met my first sponsor. And my first sponsor is who I shared with the abortions, both of them, everything. So this is the second person you the shared this with. The second person okay. that knows. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just told her everything. 
everything. Because all that's of it. part of recovery. It's part of yes. uh, rehab as well. Is yes. The 12 steps, you lay it all out. Yeah. 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 So it was so interesting because um, it was almost like in that moment, like I'd already started walking with Jesus and I was um, starting to experience a little bit of what that freedom was like. But sharing that with her, it felt like blocks of cement mm. were lifted off of me in that moment. It's amazing. My secrets had kept me sick for so long yeah. that just speaking that, mm. all of a sudden, like the power was gone. Mm-hmm. It was just gone. Yeah. And now it's out on the table. So now what do we do about it? Right. Right. So she was safe. Mm-hmm. She was, she didn't react Correct. In, a, in, a, in, a, in a bad way. You're now telling me on a podcast. Yeah. So apparently you have that you are comfortable sharing this mm-hmm. part of your story. Yes. That didn't happen overnight, did it? No, it didn't. And what's what's so beautiful about that is that as I walked with Christ and began to understand like what forgiveness really was and to be able to accept his healing for all of it, he just removed the the shame, mm. the guilt, like that self-condemnation, you're a horrible person, you're never going to be a good mom. Mm-hmm. Like he took all of that. Now, I still have regret. For sure. And sadness. Uh Oh, my gosh. So much sadness. But I don't carry that shame anymore. Like he took Uh all of that. Yeah. Which is why I think I'm able to speak about it Mm -hmm. and be okay with it. Yeah. You know, I think one of the number one things that I hear from women when they have this secret, Mm. it is abortion. Yeah. It is something that a woman will carry with her for years and years and years. You told me about a story in one of your classes. How old was a woman who was in one of your... We've had um, probably one of the oldest was 78. And had never dealt with an abortion. But had never dealt with an abortion. Mm -hmm. She had... So she would have had the abortion like before they were actually legal. Right. Yeah. Right. And so there are women that we've had in our classes in their 60s. -hmm. It's just so interesting that that is something that a woman will carry. And these women are believers. Exactly. Like they've come back to Uh this class because of they wanted to volunteer at a pregnancy center and they had to go through a class if they had abortion in their past. Like it's not even on their radar to deal with it. Right. And then they look back and see all the ways that this Mm -hmm. has affected them negatively throughout Mm -hmm. their lives. And they're like, oh my gosh. And do you, what you said earlier, do you see that it had been, it had been making them sick? Yes. I mean, their soul, I'm sure. It affects every single relationship. It, it it affects relationships with your family, especially your children. Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of the class that we deal with is like what happens when you have living children Mm -hmm how to, you know, how those relationships are different when you have um, abortion in your past. Mm. It's incredible. So I want to ask you this because I get this question a lot and people are asking me after writing this book, they're like, so do you ever feel as though people in the church look down on you for Mm -hmm. sharing these things out loud? Do you ever feel that? I have not actually experienced that. Thank God. Right. Good. But I also think it's because of the church environments that I've been in. I was raised Southern Baptist to hellfire and brimstone. And I don't know if I were to go and share my story in front of the church that mm-hmm. I attended when I was young, what I would, what would happen. Right. But I've always been, since I've been going to church as an adult later, mm-hmm. I've always been part of churches that are just all about grace mm-hmm. and about Jesus and about broken people getting healthy and getting well. 
And so I've never experienced yeah. that. This is really cool because whenever I get asked this question, I always am like, I go to a really amazing <laughs> church and you and I go to the yeah. same church. So, I mean, I just always say, our, I've, I will have heard our leadership confess brokenness. And I think that trickles down into the whole church body of just realizing that we're all broken people mm -hmm. in need of a savior. And yeah. so you can bring your stuff, lay it on the table and I'll lay mine out mm -hmm. and we'll let Jesus deal with it and we'll move on. Yeah. You mentioned that you were in rehab. Mm -hmm. How has that been? Have you ever had fear with sharing that with people? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> no. I love it, Sean. No. Um, and I think because I think because I lived with these secrets for so long when I finally realized it was safe to talk mm -hmm. about it and mm -hmm. I wasn't the only person that experienced it, that God really just said, it's okay to share and do it do it because you might help somebody else. And so there's been a lot of freedom in being able just to talk openly about it, especially because um, everybody in my family knows Curtis and I have this conversation, you know, with our children, my kids know, everybody knows all my junk. Mm -hmm. And that's just a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because somebody asked me a couple of days ago, is it hard to share your story in light of being married to Curtis? Like, how does he feel mm -hmm. about you sharing mm -hmm. about your abortions and your alcoholism? And before we started this journey, I asked him, I said, when I'm sharing this stuff, is this something that makes you feel bad? Are you, do you feel shameful or do you feel embarrassed? embarrassed? Yeah. Is this something that's okay for me to continue to do? Because if it's not, I'll shut this down right now. Yeah. And he's like, you know, baby, those things are who makes you are. Mm -hmm. That's, those are the things that make you who you are today. So I love it's really it. hard for me to talk about Curtis. <laughs> I, so know. I try not to ever bring him up. <laughs> I'm the same way, girl. I mean, when I give you a copy of my book and you read it, you're going to see that Aaron and I had these same conversations and my, my sin was sexual too, yeah. you know, and then coming before my husband who had never had, Aaron had never kissed a girl. And then I'm like, Hey, here's me used up, you know, and you just, you feel that way. And Aaron reacted the same way. And and here's what it is, is when you and I or whoever's listening or whatever your sin struggle may be, it can be pride for the love. And it's just as bad as what you and I are sharing. Um, when we share those, what it does is it doesn't bring light to us. It says, look how amazing our God is. <laughs> look how amazing he is that he could take someone so messed up like me to abortions, alcoholism, drugs, and he can do something with my life. That's what's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. Okay, so um, I remember when you first told me that you were an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when yeah. it was? I love telling this story because to me, I thought- We were having dinner. We were having dinner. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is a woman who is not ashamed. That's exactly what I first thought. Mm -hmm. We were all having dinner. There were three couples. We were at a restaurant mm -hmm. that your husband manages mm -hmm. and there was wine served and you were drinking iced tea. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, do you not like wine? Because I love wine. You know, <laughs> I was like, do you not like wine? And you said, no, I'm an alcoholic. And I thought, first of all, no one's ever said that to me in my entire life. And I thought, she is not ashamed one bit. She knows who she is in Christ. And yeah. so I love, I tell that story all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't say your name, but maybe yeah. I can now. You can. You're on my fun. podcast. <laughs> but yeah. And so I want to know on the flip side of all of this, on the flip side of walking through these um, struggles that you had, the shame, the embarrassment, laying it on the table, telling Curtis, now you just told me you talk about this mm -hmm. and I, you and I serve at, at the jail together. Mm -hmm. um, and so what is, how has God been faithful on the flip side of this journey of yours? There's so many ways, Jamie, but I think the biggest thing for me is that 
I'm able to facilitate an abortion healing class now. And so women who are carrying this junk with them, this shame, this guilt, this condemnation, I'm able to help them see Jesus and help them to see that what he did on the cross is enough Mm. for all their sin, even the sin of abortion, because that's one that women just don't think that God can forgive. And that's a lie straight from hell. It's all forgivable because of what Jesus did on the cross. Mm -hmm. And so God has used the darkest, saddest, just the most horrible times in my life. And he has redeemed those things. And now he's using those things for his glory. Mm. And that's just the awesome God that we serve. He'll take the junk, the baggage, he'll redeem it, and then he'll use it. And so that's what he's doing right now. And I also feel like he's he's really redeemed it in a way that I'm able to share this with my daughter mm. and with her friends. I've recently shared this story with my daughter and her disciple group. Mm. And just knowing that my experience could possibly show my daughter or somebody that is the age that she is 14. Hey, you don't have to go down this path. And if you do listen, you need to go to somebody and talk to somebody because this is not something that you need to deal with on your own. I just think if I would have gone to someone, if I would have gone to my mom, if I would have gone to another adult, maybe my path would have been completely different. Mm. And so I think it's just been so great to be able to encourage them and say, hey, you're going to screw up. Mm -hmm. This is life. You're going to mess up and you're going to mess up big. But guess what? I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I've been there. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid to come to me. And so those two things, helping women that have experienced abortion and then just been being able to be available for my daughter. Yeah. That's just huge. Yeah. And you're now facilitating this class um, at the jail where yes. we serve. Which is incredible. Which is incredible. Yeah. yeah. I can't help but think a lot of addiction, which I suffered with, is related directly to past abortion mm-hmm. because you don't know how to deal with that heaviness. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was through alcohol mm-hmm. and drugs. Yeah. Just numb it down, forget about it, and then move forward. Mm-hmm. And so... A lot of women that struggle with addiction have abortion in their past. Wow. That's interesting. So do you remember when you first told your mom? Yes. How did how did that go? It was so sad and precious all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I had to do it. I didn't want to, but my sponsor made me. Mm-hmm. It's part of my making amends. So you're a, a grown woman a with grown children, woman, a mortgage, a husband, doing life. Yes. Mm. It was incredible. And it completely changed my mother mine and my mom's relationship because there'd always just been like this space between Mm -hmm. us. We just weren't able to connect. I had a lot of resentment and anger. She just didn't understand me or where I was coming from. Mm -hmm. And um, part of my recovery was making amends. And so, you know, I shared with her about the abortions and how sorry I was and that I should have, I should have gone to her Mm -hmm. and that I was so selfish and just thought I knew everything And um, it was so sweet to be able to just apologize and ask for her forgiveness. Mm. And then for her to be able to comfort me, you know, in a way that she probably would have wanted to have done back then, but wasn't given the chance. And that was a really special moment. And it's completely changed our relationship. I love that. Every time I hear you talk about um, the 12 Steps program, which I never knew anything about until I met you, Mm. and you always teach the class at the jail on addiction. Most of the time you teach it. And I just, I learn something from you every single time. And what I see is that step, when you talk about that, is it step four? Four. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. About four and five. Yeah. Writing everything down and asking for forgiveness and making amends. Every time you talk about that, I think, man, that is exactly like 
how we receive healing. The God's word says when we bring things to the light, because things that are in the dark and in secret, like you said, they make us so very sick, Mm -hmm. so very sick. So I remember the first time I shared online about being pregnant in college as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone emailed me um, from our church and um, she was married, kids, and she said she'd had abortion. She'd never even told her husband. Wow. And that just broke my heart. And so I know, I know people are listening right now and they are thinking, this is my story. Mm. Nobody knows. What do you tell them? Um, That's a good question. Um, The first thing I would say is just start praying about it. Start praying about it and ask. That was the thing I did my first year in recovery because I had had these two abortions and I didn't know what to do with it. And my sponsor said, you pray, you pray to God and you ask him for a way to receive healing and to move forward and to make amends. And he's going to provide a way because Mm -hmm. he's faithful. Mm -hmm. And he certainly did. He provided a class for me to be able to go through and just get all the healing that I needed. So my, my first thing would be you start praying hard about it. And then God is going to reveal to you exactly who you need to tell and what you need to do. And I also would just let want to say that there is there is help for you if you've ha- if you have abortion in your past. There's help. There's this beautiful class called Forgiven and Set Free. It's an eleven week program, and you basically just walk through all of it. You walk through the denial, the guilt, the shame, the anger, the depression, and then you're able to receive closure at the end of that because this is not a secret anymore. You're able to acknowledge that your children were in fact children. Let's look at that for what it is. Yes, I made a huge mistake, but these are children that are mine. And just be able to sit in that Mm -hmm. and then ask God to heal those really sad, scary places that you don't want to go. Yeah. Because he will heal those places. And then he's going to do something amazing with that pain. Well, Sean, thanks for being vulnerable today with me. And thanks for sharing your story. And I think one of my favorite things you said is something that we know is that this sin of abortion is not too big for God. That's right. It is not. And he didn't forget about it on the cross. Nope. Uh, his blood covers all sins and his forgiveness is for all of them for you. And so thanks for sharing with us today. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Okay, guys, I know that you so enjoyed Sean's story. I loved it when she says, God has used the darkest, saddest, the most horrible time of my life, and he has redeemed those things, and now he is using those things for his 
glory. Yes and amen to that. I know you're loving this. Before we get into Ginger's story, I want to thank the sponsors who have made today's shows possible. Today's show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. All right, my friends, here is another If You Only Knew story with my friend, Ginger. Ginger, what is your If You Only Knew? If you only knew how badly I have struggled and still struggle with social anxiety. So when you say social anxiety, I think when I hear that, I probably have some maybe preconceived notions of what that might mean. And I think that could probably be different for a lot of people. Am I right? Yeah. Different kind of. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? Social anxiety. So for me, I, when I was four years old, I lost my hearing overnight um, and basically became It was literally overnight? I didn't know that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I went from having perfect hearing and praise God had learned how to talk and everything before I lost my hearing. But overnight, I think it was some sort of infection. Woke up the next morning and I was deaf. Do you remember that? I do. I remember it. I remember the panicked uh, just feeling of waking up and thinking there was something in my ears. I couldn't get it out. I couldn't hear people. It was just, it was really being at a loss. Mm -hmm. So I'm legally deaf. I have about 20% of normal hearing. In both ears? Together, I have about 20% um, with both ears combined. Mm -hmm. But... I have hearing aids, which are a tremendous help, but they're still not normal hearing. And so I really struggle in social settings when there's a lot of different sounds going on. When I walk into rooms of people and there's more than one conversation, more than one person talking, or when I go into loud settings where there's music in the background and people talking, my brain has a really hard time figuring out which things to tune into and understand mm. and which things to to not. And so social settings are very difficult for me to understand anyone. I rely so heavily on lip reading that if I go into a dark theater or a sh- if I go to a show then I and I can't see people's lips, I really struggle because then I can't hear, I can't understand. And so that for me has caused what I call like just social anxiety and social settings, not being able to control all of the environment is really hard. So I know this about you because you've told me before and one of your closest friends, like oldest friends, Maris, I I just know this about you. And she does a really, she's done a really good job when I've seen y'all out places to try and help you in those situations, you know, and just oh to gosh, make yes. people aware that that might be a struggle. But what I want to know is, I, I know you as, you know, a 30-something-year-old woman, and this is something that you struggle with. And I know that you've talked about it and, you know, you're open with your friends about it. But what did that look like for like 15-year-old Ginger? It was so hard. And it's something that I struggled with for so long internally. Because were you embarrassed? I was embarrassed, but I also didn't know how to talk about it. Okay. And truthfully, I think that when I was a kid, I was just kind of put in settings that I didn't have control over. Mm -hmm. But when I became kind of an independent independent adult, when I went off to college and I was all of a sudden able to control the environment that I was in, I found myself pulling back Mm -hmm. and staying home and intentionally not putting myself in those situations because I didn't want to risk it. I didn't want to have I didn't want to risk having a awkward encounter with someone if I didn't have to. Mm. And so it like I'm an introvert by nature anyway. 
but it really started to fester and grow into just pulling back and not investing in relationships, not pushing myself. I mean, and this is something that truthfully, I've never really shared. Like I've talked about this with my girlfriends and with my community, but it's part of my story that I haven't shared with Mm -hmm. a lot of people. So what would that, because I am getting a sense to that awkwardness that it could feel like, but if some, as someone who's never been in your exact shoes, that scenario, when you are, you said you kept it internally and it caused you to pull back. What were you, were you were afraid of? You said the awkwardness of it. Awkwardness because with, um, With my brain, I rely so much on lip reading that if I, I mean, I can't tell if someone is two feet behind me talking to me because I can't hear them and I can't read their lips. Mm. And so in a normal setting, somebody could just come up behind me and say, hey, Ginger, and I'll have no idea. And a lot of times that comes across as rude Mm. or it comes across as awkward or someone can say something to me and I can ask them to repeat themselves five times, but because there's music in the background- It doesn't work. I'll never- I have a really hard time understanding. So without you, when you're having these moments, and I, I can only imagine how difficult that must have been as a teenager, because I know it's difficult as a grown woman. And, yeah. and just things are harder when we're teenagers. Sure. When you're having these, like internalizing this and feeling afraid of the situation, we're, and you were probably afraid of what someone was going to think about you. Do you remember what it felt like when you kind of verbally said this out loud? Because you're pulling back. Mm-hmm. And did you have friends in your life that are like, Ginger, something wrong? Why are you pulling back? Do you remember what it was like the first time you actually acknowledged, I'm pulling back. I'm really scared about social situations and they make me uncomfortable. Do you Mm -hmm. remember the first time you kind of said that out loud? Well, I think that when I was in college and then even just the like church and community groups that I've been a part of since then, I've had friends who know me well in a one-on-one setting. And then when I'm in a social setting or in a large group setting, they're the ones who have noticed. Because they're like, hey, what's wrong? Are you okay? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. is something wrong? Because all of a sudden, I'm not being myself. I'm not contributing to conversation. I'm kind of hanging out back here in the corner because I'm not going to jump into a conversation when I can't fully understand everything mm-hmm. that's going on. Yeah. And so I remember talking about that with my girlfriends and for one thing, feeling so loved that they would notice that about me. And that they would take the time to Mm. ask me about it. And that's what really kind of started those conversations of, okay, we didn't, we didn't know that you struggled with this. Like, how can we help? And you mentioned Maris, like the, the women in my community group are so loving in that way. And it's, this is such a normal part of life for me. I don't think about being handicapped or being deaf. I God's been really gracious in that I've lived a very normal life. So normal in fact that most of my friends forget about it. Mm-hmm. But in social settings or in say like community group. I I'm in a community group with about 18 people. That's it's a huge. lot. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and most of like most of my good girlfriends are in that group and they're very aware of it, but also I feel so loved by my community in that their husbands, like I'm good friends with their, with all of their families. Mm-hmm. And even their husbands have cued into just physical things that they notice when I'm struggling to hear where I'll turn my head so that my ear is closer mm. to the person talking, mm-hmm. or I will cut my hand around my ear. And like some of those husbands are the first to notice and the first to go and turn the music down in yeah. the background. Yeah. 
or switch seats so that I can be closer. Mm-hmm. So I felt really loved by my community in that. So I want to ask you this. Um, I'm really intrigued about how keeping that internally was really, really um, hard for you. And I don't necessarily, what I hear you saying is the struggle has not gotten easier. Mm-hmm. No. The struggle is still there. Mm-hmm. But explain to me the difference between, because I think that's a misconception that sometimes people have is that if I am open, then the struggle is going to go away or God's going to take this from me, or I'm never going to struggle with this. You know, yours is not even something that you can, you know, physically help. Whereas I might struggle with, you know, pride or greed or shopping or whatever. But talk to me about the difference you feel though, because Mm -hmm. God has not healed you. Mm -hmm. You still only have 20% of your hearing, but what is the difference in your soul even though this anxiety struggle is still there. Yeah. Well, I think that for me, so much of this came as as a believer when I started to understand Mm -hmm. that when Scripture talks about God's sovereignty, God's in control of not just the big things, but the small things too, which means He must also be in control of the fact that I have a hearing loss. He could have prevented that. And he could still change that, but he hasn't. And so that, I think, coming to a place of realizing that has helped me so much in learning to trust him with Mm. it because it is clearly a weakness of mine. Like my hearing is not a strength. It's a weakness. It is literally a physical weakness. Absolutely. Uh And it's something that I can do nothing about. Mm -hmm. And it is like, I really feel like it is God's grace to me and it's one of the things that brings me back on a daily basis to remembering I, I'm not in control of this. I, I have to rely on the Lord to provide for everything. And so for me, what like in, a, in the social anxiety part of it is I can go to church on Sundays. Honestly, church is really hard for I me. can imagine. Yeah, it's loud. It's dark. It's mm-hmm. all the people I love in one room and I want to talk to all mm-hmm. of them and I can't understand any of them. Yeah. But I I go to church on Sundays and every single Sunday, even still, before I walk into that auditorium, like I have that like anxiety in my throat mm, where mm-hmm. really and truly what I want to do is I want to go home. For sure. But if I'm able to trust the Lord with my hearing loss and for, for Him to be strong in the areas where I'm weak and for Him to be glorified in that weakness— means that I walk in faith. And so I walk in to church every single Sunday knowing and trusting Him. Mm. And that that really, truly is walk of faith for me. Yeah. And so like I, I trust Him with that. And so because I'm able to trust Him and I know that He, like, he is the one who holds every bit of this in His hand, then I am able to not fear these things. Mm-hmm. And even when I have just this twinge of social anxiety of, man, I could go to this thing or I could stay home, like I can trust him in that, even if it results in an awkward encounter or me giving the wrong answer to a question that I didn't understand that's so clear on the person's face, mm-hmm. <laughs> then I can still trust him in that. Yeah. Like those things are still gonna happen, mm-hmm. but he's still good. Mm. The best thing about, and I say this almost every interview, so those of you that listen to all the ones in the past, you're like, Jamie, you say this every time, but it is so true. The best thing about all of these conversations that I'm having with women, with whatever their struggle might be, is that it it is so relatable to all of us in different ways. Mm-hmm. I may not struggle with social anxiety, 
But when you're sitting here dropping bombs of truth on us about trusting in God, even in our weakness, that is something that we can all, all benefit from. Mm-hmm. Oh, so social anxiety. Yeah. How have you, have you seen God use that anyway in your life with other people? Do you feel as though, like, I always know, like when I say things out loud, like I'm like, I'll go first, you know, me too. Mm-hmm. I get it. You know, have there been moments in your life where you've shared about this and it has made someone else feel like, okay, if Ginger can say this, if Ginger struggles with this, then I can maybe say what I'm struggling with. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, especially with the women mm-hmm. in my life where I, I mean, I struggle so much with, um, I mean, just, I try so hard in some settings, like on the phone, like these things that are really hard and man, just coming to a point of, I make myself so anxious about it that trusting God with it and then something beautiful coming out of that and sharing with, with my girls, with my women. And they are like, oh my gosh, yes. Like I forget about that. Like Man, you know, that's so good for me mm-hmm. to hear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, totally. I think also when you're sharing about, you know, social anxiety, it is something that could totally be hidden. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to tell anybody this. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could literally go your entire life and never share with one person how anxious you are in social situations because it feels vulnerable, you yeah. know, and it's not an outward thing. You know, mm-hmm. you're not binge drinking or binge eating. You know what I mean? And so- mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's something that for years just ate me up uh-huh. inside. And what it did is it produced loneliness. Mm. It produced just this like isolated feeling that when for you to be lonely or isolated when you're surrounded by people is is heartbreaking. And so what it was, I wasn't letting people into that. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't, my community, I wasn't sharing this with them. Yeah. But when I did start sharing it, like, Man, not only was I able to bring what was in the dark into light, but it helped like the people in my life learn and know how to love me well. That's key right there. That's it good. It's uh-huh. huge. And it has been such a blessing. And once again, it's not one of those things where all of a sudden, like, oh, poor Ginger, right. she has a hard time hearing. Mm-hmm. It was not that way at all. Mm-hmm. We, It's become a very natural part of life for all of us mm. to where I don't, I don't feel different and I don't feel handicapped or deaf or whatever. I feel very much like a normal person mm-hmm. who lives a very normal life mm-hmm. and has people in mm-hmm. her life with her, you know, yeah. who understand that. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it community has been such a blessing mm. in this. Well, so many great things from this today, you know, how your community loved you better once you showed them your struggles. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's what we're afraid of sometimes is the opposite will happen, is that our community will abandon us or our mm-hmm. community will not get it so much so that they will inadvertently abandon us because they just don't get our struggle. Yeah. And you're saying, I brought my struggle out and they love me more. Mm-hmm. And then also, I really love how you were talking about how your struggle was producing other things in you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was not allowing you to thrive as a person. No. And so bringing things to the light is what God asked us to do. And mm-hmm. it produces stuff in us that could not happen otherwise. So, yeah, Ginger, thank you. Friends, I loved it when Ginger reminded us that God's in control of not just the big things, but the small things too. He's the one that holds every bit of this in his hand. 
I, you know what? I say this all the time. I believe that stories can change the world. Everyone has a story. You heard Ginger's today. You heard Sean's today. And some parts of those stories may feel too hard to tell. But my hope for you is that when you hear these stories, that you'll be encouraged and trust God more as you hear how God remained faithful and good and how sharing their struggles has allowed light to shine in the darkest of places. I'm so thankful for each of the women for their courage, honesty, and vulnerability in sharing their stories with us. If you'd like to hear the rest of these stories from that If You Only Knew miniseries, please check out the blog post today and we will link to all of them. Today's show was edited by Chris with Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Aki Slockers and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, we have a new friend. Esther Fleece is on the show. Her new book is available right now. It's called Your New Name, saying goodbye to the labels that limit. We talk about Esther's vulnerable story, the labels that marked her for years, and how God used community in his word to reveal to Esther that God never names us out of our sin, but calls us forward. He names us based on our future. You're going to want to tune in next Wednesday. I loved meeting Esther and having her here in the studio. Also, don't forget, we have our Your Last Decades, which air on Friday. We're loving these shows so much, and we're hearing from you that you're loving them too. This was just going to be a January thing, but guys, we're going to keep going for at least a couple more months because it's been so fun to talk with people as they look back on the last decade and then look forward to what they hope for in the next 10 years. I am loving it so very much. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a happy hour with a friend, and I'll see you guys back here next week with my friend Esther.